Yo, welcome to the Josh Loves Jesus podcast. Today, I have a special message to share with you guys that I got to share with my church, and I just felt it hit different. <laughs> it hit deep, and I want to share this with you guys because when it comes down to it, the devil, if he can't change or destroy our faith in God or our faith in the truth, he will try to distract our focus in God and our focus in the truth. And one of the biggest things I forget about Jesus is not just that he came for us, but that he's coming back for us. In fact, that's the gospel. Not only did the king come to this earth and die for me and rise from the dead and is now seated on a throne in heaven, but he is coming back for his bride. And that day is designed to affect today. That whether he comes or not today, I should be ready today for his coming. It's so easy for us Christians to get kind of lazy, to have a lack of urgency, to kind of just push things off, caught up in life. And what the coming of Jesus does is it sobers our mind. It reminds us that today is important and I need to be ready for his coming. So I hope you enjoyed this message. I know it was a game changer, a life changer for me, and I hope it does the same for you. God bless you. Peace. And today we are in Revelation chapter 22. So if you have your Bible, it's the last pages of it, right before the table of context and the maps and all that. So go to the end of your Bible. We're in Revelation chapter 22. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 21. Very excited for this text today. I love the opening lines of this verse. Here we go. You guys ready? Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. Amen, amen. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches." Parentheses, CCEA. And I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride, that's the believers, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the word of this prophecy, of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away from this scroll of the prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Woo. Amen. And you were dismissed. I'm kidding. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for this text that you've given us and that you've preserved for thousands of years for us to read today. And yet, these are not just words on a page. Lord, we ask that this word would not just be read, but it would read us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are alive and active, and we ask that you would give us the spirit of revelation, of new knowledge, and the spirit of wisdom, of knowing what to do with our knowledge, that we might know you better. Open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see the glory of our inheritance. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, that your spirit would knock on their hearts. And Lord, that for those of us who do know you, that you would stir in our hearts, and your power would come upon us to make us witnesses for you in this world. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. I got to tell you this. I'm excited to share this with you guys because though I might be the, uh, the announcement guy, whenever I see people at Costco or Traders or wherever I go, like, you're Pastor Josh, the announcement guy. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I am that. Yeah, I am the announcement guy. Um, and though I enjoy announcing to you no gross surf share and all the, uh, the text jingle and all those things, the greatest announcement I will ever give you is that Jesus is coming soon. The most awaited event of all history, the answer to all of life's physical, political, economical, financial, spiritual, emotional problems is coming, and his name is King Jesus. And I got his word on it. He's coming very soon. Therefore, the title of my message today is The King is Coming. The King is coming. And before I share this message real quick, some of you guys say you feel like you've seen me grow up in your midst. So I do want to give you a little life update. Uh, here is, um, excuse my wife, my beautiful wife and my son, Abide. My wife, Jasmine, there we are. Um, yes. And, and the other day I was at the men's breakfast and like, oh, your son's so handsome. I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, he gets his looks from his mom. I'm like, okay, thank you. Like five people told me that. So you know what? I mean, you know what? My identity's in the Lord. I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. It's fine. <laughs> But yes, he does have his mom's looks, and yeah, they're here. My, she, my son's in the nursery, and my wife's over here, so say hello to her. But um, the greatest announcement I'll ever give you guys is that Jesus is coming soon. And um, he says it twice here. In the last words of the Bible, he says, look, I'm coming soon in verse 12. And then verse 20, yes, I'm coming soon, as if, if you missed it, I'm coming soon. And it's been thousands of years since this has been written, and yet soon... When, it, when, it, when an eternal God says the word soon, you got to kind of figure, you gotta figure out what does it actually mean, right? And yet he wants us to know he's coming soon. And whether or not you're a Christian in this room or not, I want you to know that your innermost being is groaning for Jesus. That the atheist's heart is groaning for God. That the trees are groaning for God. That the dirt is groaning for God. Because why? God's word says in Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time, not only so, but we ourselves, the believers, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is why in verse 17 it says, the Spirit and the bride say, come, that whether or not you pray, Lord Jesus, come, or you don't, I want you to know that if you're a believer here, there is something deep within you that groans, that yearns, that cries out, Jesus, come back. This is the hole that people describe when they come to Christ, that Christ fills this, this he's interwoven it into us, he's built it into us, hardwired it into humanity that we don't only need God, but we know there's an eternity. In fact, we're the only species of all creation that has an awareness, the cognitive ability to know of eternity. Not chimps, not alligators, not lions. Raw, I sound like that. No, no, no other creature asks, what's the purpose of life? No other creature asks, is there life after death? We're the only ones. We're the only ones it's almost like there's a specific invitation to all of humanity saying God putting a question in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But though we might have the longing for heaven, today my hope is that we would see life through the light of heaven, through the light of eternity. 
Have you heard that term before, living in the light of eternity? You may ask, what is the light of eternity? Well, in Revelation 21, it says, in heaven, there will be no sun, for the son of God will be the sun. So to live in the light of eternity is to live in the light of the sun, who in John 1 is given the title, the word, the light unto our feet and unto our path. And therefore, one way you to realize that heaven is not just something we live for, it's something we live by. In fact, when we live this life, when we live every day in the light of eternity, it will allow us to see every day correctly. It will allow us to see what today is as it really is. But when we lose the light of eternity, we will begin to make assumptions and be caught up and consumed in the world and really be surrounded by lies. To make this point, let me share with you what we, my wife and I did for our anniversary. So a certain gentleman here, which I will not give his name because otherwise you'll all go to him, blessed us with some Disney tickets. I love this guy. Amazing. I won't tell you his name, so don't spoil it. But anyway, he blessed us with some tickets. And I have never had park hopper tickets, but he gave us not only Disney tickets, but park. I was like, oh my, this is the first time ever. So I was so excited. My wife was excited for me to experience California adventure for the first time. So we go to Disneyland and she has all these things she wants to go on. But I got to the, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm in my thirties. I'm not that old, but I'm at the point now where roller coasters now make me car sick. I get nauseous. This outward man is decaying uh, day by day. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I go on a ride. I need to hold on to something still. But I told, my, I told my wife, babe, we can go to anything you want, but I have two requests. I want to see the parade at night and I want to go on my favorite ride, Peter Pan. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. So we go into California Adventure and I'm expecting like this epic, like Disney nostalgia vibes. And we walk in, I'm like, wait, it's not all that. It feels a little bit more like Santa Ana than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but it was like Santa Ana, but with Disney prices. I'm like, dang it, I know this is not what I'm looking for. So we go in, we go on the credit coaster. I'm all car sick already, but I'm like, you know what? Persecution for Jesus, it's fine. We go through there, we do all the things. We go on the, the Star Wars rides in Disneyland. And finally, it's time for the parade. We're a little bit late, so we don't go on Main Street. We go down by the small world area, but it's fine. I'm like, you know what? Again, we'll endure. And now it's time. Like, here's the secret. We're going to go on Peter Pan now because everyone's at the, everyone is still like moseying around, getting their blankets from the parade. Now it's time to get on to Peter Pan. So we run to Peter Pan. My mom's like, are you sure you still want to go to Peter Pan? I'm like, yes, I am sure. I've waited all day for this. So we go there and the line's a little bit long, which I'm shocked because usually no one likes the ride. But I'm like, wait, okay. So they're all in line. So we get in line for Peter Pan. I'm like, we're enduring. We find, and then after the long, a 35 minute wait, we get on and ta-da, like there it is. The little cool wind hits my face, probably some fan in there. It's cool. I'm like, look at me. I'm caught up in the clouds with Christ right? and Peter Pan. This is great. We go over the city. You start seeing the lights twinkling. This is beautiful. I mean, this, is, this is all I wanted today, right? Until the smooth ride gets interrupted with a jolt. Boom. We go to a hard stop. Like from like five miles an hour to zero in 0.5 seconds. I don't remember this. I don't remember this part. I don't remember this part. And like, maybe you just going again. Until we start hearing the loudspeaker, please do not leave the ride. Please do not get out, stay. I'm like, oh, this is concerning. My ride's been interrupted. And then the worst thing happened. The lights turned on. <laughs> 
all of them. And now my magical kingdom of sparkling starry lights. Now there's an eight foot ladder underneath us and a plastic table and gaff tape. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know Disneyland was so ghetto. This was so glorious, and now it became so ghetto when the lights turned on. This is not, oh my gosh, the, the, the volcano is just some, gaff, some lights with gaff tape and an eight-foot ladder propped up against it with a black cloth over it. What is going on here? <laughs> and then it got worse because after 30 minutes and probably 20 more announcements, the fire department finally shows up, and they tell us, oh, you know why it stopped it and jolted? There was actually an earthquake. So all the rides are closed down now, but we'll get you down safely. I'm like, cool. So we get down, and now we are walking through the gaff tape and the ladder. I'm going, I'm like, I, it's been ruined. Peter Pan has, ruined, has been ruined. And like, hey, do you want a, 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 a little turbo pad? I'm like, no, nothing, nothing can forgive this. I'm, I'm over this. <laughs> but what I learned and why I want to share that is because when the lights turned on, I saw the ride for what it was. And things I didn't see at all before became painfully obvious. They were always there. They didn't appear when the lights turned on. They were, they've always have been there. But when the lights turned on, I saw it for what it was. I saw it for what it was. And that's exactly what God will do one day. When he comes back, everything will be laid bare. He'll be as glorious and be seen as glorious as he really is. And this world will be shown, as, for, be shown for what it is as well. But what we want to do today is we want to live in the light of eternity so that we can see what things are as they really are right now. So this is why I want to examine this passage with you guys today. And right off the bat, Jesus says, look, I'm coming very soon. Soon is a vague word again for eternal God to say the finite being soon. What does that even mean? But he says afterwards, my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. In other words... I'm being vague here because I want to be cl very clear with the words that follow. It's not for you to know when I'm coming because that's soon, that's vague. But I want to be very clear that I will reward each person according to what they do. And my reward is with me. In other words, what you do really matters. What you do and what you do when I'm coming, it matters. And I think sometimes we get to this place where we get so caught up in when is he coming? Or, ooh, is that a sign? Is this a sign? But when it comes down to it, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We would never be able to understand what he is doing and how he's doing it. It's like if we always go back thousands of years, maybe even today, and try to explain an iPhone to someone, and say, hey, this is how the telephone waves work. And this is how this microchip works. I don't even understand what that means right now. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I know how, how to use an iPhone, but I don't know how an iPhone works. But if I was say, I won't use the iPhone until I know how it works, I'll never use an iPhone. I don't know how the pictures work. I don't know how the phone calls work. But you know what? I know how to push a button. And therefore, I know how to use my iPhone fully, fully up to its highest ability. And maybe we can approach theology like we approach technology. And say, so I want to understand how it works or when he's coming or when he's going to come, but I know what he's told me to do. And what he's told me to do is be ready. Be ready. My reward is with me. Be ready. Preach the gospel. Why did I say that? Because in Matthew 3, 1 through 2, we see 
what Jesus' forerunner did. See, I have a Toyota forerunner. Trust the old thing. I've slept, I've slept in it. I've driven it into Death Valley and now. I love that thing. Jesus had a forerunner, not the truck, but John the Baptist. And this is important because Jesus' second coming is exactly that, his second coming. So what did he want from his forerunner in his first coming? Look at Matthew 3, it says this, in those days or in the last days before Jesus' first coming, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near or time is short. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. Christ wants to come back to a church that is preaching repentance, that is personally repented and is preaching repentance. In other words, the time of the second coming is not for us to know, but it is the time for us to make the gospel known. This is the time. Because in verse 13, or in verse 14 of chapter 22, what we're reading today, it says, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts and sexual immorality, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. Not the world, for the churches. And I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. You would think he'd say that to the world. Come to me, I'm coming back world, so get right with me. But he's telling this to the churches to A, examine our lives and to wash our robes, but B, to say, don't just be blessed by by your robes being washed, be a blessing and wash others' robes. It's making it really real right now. Here we go. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. But where he's taking us is up to us. The dogs and those who made this world their home don't go home to be in the house of God. They are outside the gates. Because their home has been lost. My point is this. I have a question for you. What is more like home to you? This present world or the presence of God? What is more like home to you? Where do you find your joy? Where is more familiar? Where have you invested yourself more into? This present world or the presence of God? Like any good pastor... I used ChatGPT today and asked it, what are the key characteristics between a house and a home versus a dwelling place and it being your dwelling place? It says, when a place is familiar, when there's emotional attachment, when there's comfort and security found there, where there's warmth, where you can be yourself, where there's family relationships and shared experiences, where there's a neighborhood and community of others who meet there with you as well, when there's a, it's a place of functionality that meets your needs, that is where it makes a house your home. 
And though that's AI, that's not far from the truth, that those are some of the key characteristics of what separates heaven from being the house of God to being your home with God. And this is why it says in Timothy that Paul says, I demand Demas who was serving with me, but he left me because why? He loved this present world. What does it say in James? Anyone who's a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That those who are left outside the city are not kicked out from their home. It's that God's presence was never their home. Their home was this world that passed away. So do we find more safety and joy in this world or in God's word? And as believers, we are those who stand on the word of God. It's about to get really crazy right here. Here we go. God describes his coming like a thief in the night. Revelation 16, 15, let me show you. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the, blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Second Peter 3, 10 also says so. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the whole earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in, not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Wait, 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 Jesus. I thought we don't know when you're coming though. So we're going to be surprised like a thief. No, we'll be surprised, but we won't be surprised like he's a thief. We'll be surprised like he's our groom. Here's the point I want to make to you. We are not burglar victims. We are the bride of Christ. But what separates Christ's coming from being like a thief or a groom is are we betrothed to him? We're going to be surprised at his coming because the way Jewish weddings worked was it would first start off with an agreement. The fathers of the bride and the groom would agree. Then there would be a ceremony. But unlike today, there would not be, you may kiss the bride. They would wait a year. And at a time unannounced, the groom will come for his bride and take her home. And that's what Christ is going to do for his bride, us. But you see, what a thief does, a thief comes to take you from your home. A groom comes to take you to your new home. And therefore, we're all going to be surprised, Christian and non-Christian alive. The question is, will we be surprised like he's a thief or will we be surprised like he's our groom? Where's our home? Where's our heart? Is our heart with him or is our heart here in this world? See, 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31 says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is time is short. The Greek word for short is sestelo. And that means when a ship is about to dock, it's a mariner's term in the Greek. When it was about to, when it was about to dock, it would say sestelo, which means pull up the sails and get ready to harbor. We're coming in close. Time is short. So from now on, how do we tie up our sails? Wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What Paul is not saying is get a divorce don't cry, don't be happy, 
don't own anything. That's not what he's saying. Paul is not saying don't have a wife, don't have things, but he's saying don't let the things have you. That none of these things, oh, our marriage, our finances, our emotions, high or low, should have a grip on us that is tighter than eternity and the God of eternity. That I might have emotions that are real, that I might have money or lack thereof. I might be married or unmarried, single, dating, married, who knows? But may our situation not have a, a tighter grip on us than our coming savior. I want to make an announcement to you that too many of us give the devil a hold on our lives that he has no business or right to have. But the only way he holds on to us is not through his hand on us, but it's anything we hold back from God. Because anything we hold back from God offers the enemy a way to hold on to us. He has no hold on to us, but he can hold on to the things we are holding on to. And too often we are tied to things and chained to things and we have this illusion that it's the devil holding on to us. But really, we're holding on to things that the devil, the God of this age, has a hold on. And we've held them back from God because maybe they're good things. Maybe it's as small as our routine. Maybe it's as big as a person or our being. But if we hold anything back from God, the enemy's gonna work through that. Samson. A mighty man for God and judges was not tied down by braids, by cords, by chains. It was by his choices. We choose our chains as believers because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But we too often submit ourselves and surrender to an enemy by not choosing him necessarily, but by choosing to hold on to things from the Lord. And I want to encourage you today to not let the enemy's weapons against you prosper. When he gives you temptation, don't give him time. When he gives you a thought, don't give him your mind. When he gives you a sin, don't give him time. Don't let his ways prosper. Don't water the seeds he's planting. Hebrews 12, one says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Second Corinthians 4.18 says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is really cool. If you love the Bible, you love this. Underline we fix our eyes, because the Greek word for fix our eyes is skopeo. S-K-O-P-E-O. S-K-O-P-E-O. You know what that means? To direct attention or take aim. If you believe in self-defense and the right to bear arms, you know what it means to take aim. And a weapon can be a great tool for self-defense, can it? If it's aimed properly. But if you just pull the trigger out of the gun wherever it's aimed, it's not self-defense, that's self-harm. Because why? The weapon's too powerful? No, because you're not aiming it. And how often do we just let our mind run on default as opposed to aiming our thoughts and fixing our eyes? Last time I checked, a gun does not aim itself. 
and neither will our mind. By default, our mind will be consumed and concentrated on the temporary things, not the eternal things. But when we can fix our eyes on the eternal, we can see things today as they really are. And what it comes down to is we have a choice to either magnify this life or to magnify eternal life. And to make my point, I have a little video of my son and I at the park. See the little moon we're zooming in on? It's getting a little bigger. Still pretty small, but... <laughs> That's him saying moon, by the way. Okay, we can, we can cut that clip. I'm saying moon in a weird way. That's what happens when you have a kid. But I want to make a point to you is my phone has this ability to magnify. And when I magnified on that moon, it actually didn't change the size of the moon. But it made the moon appear closer to what it actually is in my perspective. Because though I magnified it maybe a hundred times, the moon is much bigger than that size on that screen. But when I magnified it, it became closer to how it actually is. And when it comes down to it, we have problems in this life. And I want you to know, whether it's an emotional problem, a situational problem, a physical problem, your problems and your struggle and your pain is real and valid. But though that is real and your problems are real, God's promises are eternal. They're eternal. But though his promises are so much bigger than our problems because not only are his promises bigger, they actually include the redemption of our problems. That you have a choice in your own perspective on which one will be bigger to your eyes by what you choose to magnify. You can magnify life is hard or you can magnify God is good. You can magnify my problems are big or you can magnify my God is bigger. And though your pain is real, God is eternal and they both exist. But you have a choice in your mind on what you want to magnify on, what you want to think about, what you want to let move you because both are true. But what's going to move you? Eternity or the pain? What's going to move you? Your emotions or eternity? You have a choice. And what Paul is saying is fix your attention. Aim your mind. Don't be gripped by the things of this world. Be gripped by the things of heaven. Romans 8.18 says, yet we suffer now. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal in us. In Luke 21, Jesus says, when these things begin to take place, when the last days come, take a stand and stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He's not saying lift your head because you should be happy. Oh, lift your head. Everything's going to be okay. I hate that. When someone says, Josh, it's going to be okay. So I'm going through all this pain for okay? No, no, no. I don't want, no, no, no. And Jesus says, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about, that, about that either. I'm saying lift your head. Not because things will be okay, but because your king is coming. And your redemption draws near. So lift up your head. And this is not me now. If you're in pain, you should be happy. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That he weeps with those who weep. But he does says in Thessalonians through Paul, we don't weep as those without hope. 
what heaven does not makes you instantly happy. What the eternity of heaven does does not make you every day you're happy, but every day you have the greatest reason to have hope. And hope is more powerful than happiness. Let me, let me tell you why. My generation chases happiness and we're the most depressed generation ever to be on this earth. Because why? It is better to be sad or unhappy and filled with hope than to be happy and hopeless. And as Christians, with a coming king who has not only saved us eternally, but will save us totally one day, we have the greatest reason to have hope. But we have a choice to magnify our hope or to magnify our hardship. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 3.20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. Last time I checked, timers don't set themselves and neither were our thoughts. And this is why Jesus says, when his disciples asked him, how, we should, how should we pray? He says this, in Matthew 6, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's crazy. The first thing is praise God that he's holy. Next thing is come back. When I read that for the study, I didn't have a pen. I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. It's been weeks since I prayed for you to come back. But this is not meant to be prayed weekly. Look at this. It's meant to be prayed daily because he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us today our daily bread. If he's praying for daily bread, it means this should be prayed daily. Are we praying daily for him to come back? So Jesus says in verse 16, chapter 22 of Revelation, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life, come. The point of it is this, that whether you feel it or not, that if you're a believer in this room, the deepest, not only your, your soul, but the spirit within you is crying to Jesus, come back. And we need to give voice to it, right? Verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. I want you to notice something really important. Get your pens out if you have a pen out. Look at the sequence. The spirit and the bride say, come. That's very important. There's two things important about the statement. This is the first one, the spirit and the bride. It's not the bride and the spirit. It's the spirit and the bride, which shows us that the bride's call echoes the spirit's cry which teaches us that our call to Christ begins with his call to us. Because we are echoing what he has shouted to us. What did Jesus say in John 7? On the last day of the festival, he said, come all who are thirsty. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the spirit declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Isaiah 55 says, come all you are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and cost. Why spend money on what is not bread 
and you labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. So often we're focused on things that do not satisfy. They're only temporary. He says, just, what we, we think nothing in this earth that's good is free, right? Well, there's something very good that is perfect, that's not of this world, that is free. And it's the gift of life. And we just need it day one. We need it every day. As believers, we must recognize we need living water not just to be saved. We need, every, we need living water to survive. And did you know that 75% of America is chronically dehydrated? You guys know that? That's a stat. 75% of us are dehydrated. And 90% of those people who are dehydrated confuse thirst with hunger. So when their body's thirsty, they're eating. Actually, not they. I'm eating. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm th- hungry. I need jerky, which has sodium. Who cares? I'm hungry, right? But what's crazy is when we're dehydrated, there are so many downsides. We, when, we're, when we have mild dehydration, it can affect our memory, our mood, our reaction time, our ability to concentrate, our, immobile, our emotions are less stabilized, feelings of anxiety are much, we're much more prone to, we can slow down our circulation of oxygen, which therefore makes our heart work harder, which makes it harder on our heart, and also brings over drowsiness. And if our bodies can be that heavily affected by being dehydrated physically, how much more can our souls be affected when we're dehydrated spiritually and not drinking the living water? For me to say hydrated physically, I need to drink an ounce to half an ounce per pound of my body. How are we going to God's word and to him in prayer for our spiritual filling? I believe our physical being is a reflection of our spiritual being and how desperately do we need him? Paul says, we, though the outward man is wasted away, the inward man is being renewed day by day. What that means is, if I'm renewed day by day, that means though Christ reconciled us once and for all, it shows me that he renews me one day at a time. My point of it is this, God reconciled us once and for all time, but God renews us one day at a time. And we need to be like David in the, in the Psalms where he says, God, you are my God and I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. When you're thirsty, there's nothing that can hydrate you other than water. And there comes a point when you say, Lord, there is no one else in life that can do what you can do. And though I might be busy, I might be stressed, I might be tired, I need five minutes of prayer more than I need five more minutes of sleep. That, Lord, though I have a bunch of tasks to do at work and they're urgent, they have deadlines, what good is it if I finish all the urgent things and let go of the most important thing, which is what? To know you. See, Christ is not just the want of our life or the need of our life. He is the water of life. And something in my heart began to change when I realized, man, when I think God's boring, when I think the Bible is boring and prayer is boring, it's not because 
he's boring. In fact, Christ is enjoyable. Prayer is enjoyable. But if I'm not enjoying it, it's not because he's not what I need or not what I want. It's because I've been so corrupted by my flesh and so conditioned by this world that I've been numbed and my palate's been changed from the things of God. But I've been made from my innermost being. I've been hardwired to groan, to desire, to cry out for Jesus. And Christ cries out to us. Revelation 3.20 says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Not only is God's presence meant to be our home, our hearts are meant to be his home. And he wants to share a meal with us in our home. When, we, when he refers to meal, that means water or liquid and bread. What does he say to pray for in Matthew 6? Not only for his kingdom to come, but to pray for daily bread. That would right away for the Israelite ping pong to their time in the desert in Exodus. Because the Israelites were in the desert and in the evening he would give them meat and in the morning he'd give them manna. And so much manna they could feed all the people and more than enough manna. But there was enough manna to maybe feed them forever or who knows how long. In Exodus 16, he gave them a rule and that is no one should keep the manna until morning. In other words, no manna, manana. No manna, manana. Though there's enough of manana, there's more than enough, one day at a time. God is more than enough, but he chooses to feed his people one day at a time. One day at a time. Because it's not just about giving you your sustenance. It's about the relationship. And too often we feel overwhelmed and undersupplied because maybe we're trying to keep the manna overnight. We're trying to rely on today's problems with yesterday's strength. But Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. You want a recipe for being overwhelmed? Rely on today's problems with yesterday's provision. And also, uh, here's a recipe for anxiety. Look at tomorrow's problems with only today's power and provision. This is why Jesus says in Matthew, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, but for every believer, not only does each day have enough trouble for its own, we have enough provision for its own. I want you to know that today's strength is enough for today's stress, today's mercy is enough for today's difficulty, today's provision is enough for today's problem. But it's day by day, and God calls you day by day, to break bread with him. And therefore, if you are in this room, you struggle to read your Bible, I've been that way because why? I feel like I'm busy, right? And one day God spoke to me. I'm like, God, I'm just too busy to read my Bible. God, I'm just too busy to pray. I'm, you, God, you know. Like, you know when you reason with God? God, you know. God, you know. I'm just too busy, too stressed. If I prayed, I wouldn't be there fully, you know? And, God, and slowly God just spoke to me this message. You're not too busy to read your Bible, Josh. You're too busy not to read your Bible. How do you expect to navigate the complexities of your life without the map, without the lamp to your feet and the light to your path? You better believe you need the Bible. How do you expect that you're going to carry the pressures of your life and all the emotional pressures and the, and the spiritual pressures without the power of prayer? 
And the reason why, Josh, you feel too busy and too little is because you're not coming to me enough. I have, I have enough provision, I have enough power, enough mercy for your problems, but you got to come to me. And I realize, Lord, forgive me for sacrificing you on the altar of the urgent things. And it's time for me to say, Lord, I'm going to make time for you. I'm going to be with you. <clears throat> Not only is the sequence important, I want to show you that what's in verse 17 is synonymous. Look at verse 17. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Not only is the sequence important, I want you to show, show you the meaning is synonymous. What I mean by this is there's pastors and commentators who can't make up their minds on what the bride and the spirit are saying come to. Are they saying to Jesus, come and come back for your people? Are they saying to the people outside the city, come to Christ? And what you realize is the reason why there's some vagueness on God's part is because he wants you to realize that the call is synonymous. The call of a bride that says, Christ come, is a bride that will call to the world, come to Christ. See, people who are crazy about God's coming should be crazy in love with prophecy. And that is not, but the thing is, prophecy is not just the foretelling of the future. It's also the foretelling of God's word. It's speaking the words of God. It's giving voice to the words of God. And in Matthew 24, Pastor Bob talked about this last week, that he says, let no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still not to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We see all this happening, right? All these things are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. I see that happening as well. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. Listen to this. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Christ is coming back when the bride is ready and a ready, a ready bride is preaching repentance to all nations. I think often we look to the world, is Christ coming? Are the signs of the times happening? We need to look at ourselves. Are we preaching? Come, Jesus. Come to him. Acts 2, 19 says, In those days I will pour out my spirit on even my servants, and men and women alike will prophesy. See, people who are truly passionate about Christ's coming will be passionate about people coming to Christ. And therefore, I want to give you a call. That's this. The action step is not white knuckle fist and try harder. It's pray. It's seek the Lord. Because in Acts 1, it says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates of the Father has set by his authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem, Samaria, and all the ends of the world. When God's on you, you will 
preach the gospel. See, when we abide in the Lord, John 15, 5, we will bear fruit. So when we abide in the Lord, we will bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, we will plant seeds because that's the nature of fruit. And therefore, I want to encourage you to start with answering God's call to you, which has come to him, either for the first time or the 1500th time. And say, Lord, I'm here. And then let him change you. And say, Lord, come back quickly. But as you call him, he's going to put a voice in you to cry out to the world, come to him as well. I know not everyone in this room feels that they're gifted in evangelism. But every believer in this room is called to evangelize. And I, one thing that struck me that changed the way I share the Lord is this line. Because for the longest time, I felt such a pressure to share the gospel, such a pressure that I would live and be a failure because I did not share the gospel enough and no one got saved and no one listened. Because I'm like, I can share, but no one's going to listen to me. And then God struck me. He said, Josh, my calling to you is not about how many people are listening to you. It's, did you listen to me? God's calling is not how many people will listen to you. It's, did you listen to God? Think about this. The major prophets in the Bible, the whole chunk in your middle Bible, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, no one in their generation listened to them. And they probably died thinking no one listened. And then once they stepped into eternity and saw all that happened in this world, they realized generations have listened. but they would have never kept sharing if they made their calling about who was listening. But they shared because they made their calling about answering the call of Christ in their life. I want to ask you, have you answered the call to share the gospel? Have you answered the call of the gospel? Because that's what matters. That is what will change eternity. People's perspectives will change. Our feelings will change. His word is eternal. And Isaiah says, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your own people who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy and they will be put to shame. May we be those who tremble at the word of God. And a great way to do that is Give voice to his word. Trip, our tech person back there who's blessing us with all the screen slides, said I had 200 slides with scripture references. Sorry, Trip, my bad. But I begin to share more verses because I realized that the only things I share up here that are eternal are his words. And his word will always accomplish that for which it was sent. May we be people who don't just speak words that fall to the ground, but speak words that though heaven and earth will pass away, will stand forever. And that is God's word. In closing, I'm about the worship team to come out right now. I want you to recognize that the spirit cries to you to come. Before we get caught up in all these things to do, go make disciples, go share the gospel. The call is first and foremost to us. It's to come to him. The first disciples, right? Peter, God's call to him was not go for me. It was come to me. 
In Matthew 4, 19, it says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. God's call first and foremost is to come. And then too often we think, oh, it's busy, I'm hard, I've been far from him, I'm too far, I'm too dirty, I've messed up too many times, but I want you to know that when we say the term Christ is coming quickly, to us personally, that means so come quickly to him. Today is the day of salvation. And I want you to know that God is not mad at you. If you're far from him, he misses you because he made you for himself. And then he bought you for himself. And then he wants to be with you. And too often when people are far from God, I hear them say, oh, that's the lie, God doesn't want me. That's the, that's the lie of the devil. He wants you and therefore, I want to, we're going to end with this really powerful, I, it, I wouldn't say don't leave because we we're going to end with a very powerful song, my favorite song. Um, but I want to give a call if there's anyone in this room that's far from Christ. Because I want you to know that the Spirit and the Bride say come. Not go get cleaned up. Not go do better. Come. That's where it starts. Come to the Lord. And therefore, if there's anyone here that's far, I want you to know that the gospel is true for you. Whether you need to recommit, like the church of Ephesus where your heart has grown cold or you've never given your life to the Lord, that you were made for God. God made this world by himself and through himself. But then we chose this world over him in the garden. And then he gave us a law to keep. Do not lie, not steal, not cheat, not envy, not put other gods before him. And yet we do that. And time and time again, all the Old Testament is full of examples of people trying to keep the law, but failing because we all lie, we all steal, we all cheat, we all idolize things. And therefore, he sends his son down to earth to live the life perfect, to fulfill the law, and to die on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he said, when I die, there'll be an exchange. That I will die the death you deserve, and you'll receive the reward I've earned. And then he died on the cross and then rose again three days later, conquering sin and death, proving that what he said was true and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God and is coming back soon. And he promises if anyone would believe on him, they would believe that he's the Lord, their Savior, he will indwell them and he will change them from the inside out. You don't need to change yourself to come to Christ. Come to Christ and he will change you. And that's the call of the gospel, a simple gospel, that God will indwell you and change you from the inside out. And therefore, in this song, if there's anyone here who needs to get right with the Lord or come to the Lord, this is for you. I want to encourage you to come and humble yourself before the Lord and re-give or give your life to Him. So whenever you like, please do not ignore the knocking of the Spirit on your heart. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you knock on hearts you will feel the urgency in your heart. You might feel uncomfortable. Do not resist it. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And that is you. Repent. Because today is a day of salvation. Let's sing this song. And please, come forward. That's you. Yo, hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm here with Abide here. Can you say hi? 
thank you for sharing. If you guys do, commenting, all it's very appreciated. I hope that these episodes have blessed you. I'm gonna keep it coming. I'm trying to become more consistent about doing it every other week or so. And uh, yeah, all right, peace. Say hi. 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 <laughs>